Hello, my name is Father Jacob, creator and founder of Region Catholic. Region Catholic is a platform used to teach the Catholic faith with the flavor of Northwest Indiana, also known as the Region. If you like this content, then like, comment, or subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And better yet, share this, regioncatholic.com, with a friend. If you'd like to support us, you can go to our Patreon page, found at regioncatholic.com, where you can support us at three levels, get shoutouts on our podcasts, or get your hands on exclusive merchandise. Thank you for your support, enjoy the podcast, and God bless you. A reading from the Holy Gospel, according to Matthew. Jesus went into the region of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter said in reply, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said to him in reply, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my heavenly Father. And so I say to you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of the netherworld shall never prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly ordered his disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. All right, well, good morning, friends. Happy Sunday to all of you. So what a great joy it is just for us to gather again together. A uh, special welcome to all those who are on the uh, live stream with us today. And uh, just knowing that you know, the Lord continues to bless us even in the midst of trials and difficulties. Um, as you know, last week we started a new preaching series, uh, just a two-week one. So we started it last week and we'll be ending it this week. So kind of a short one, I suppose. Um, but the series is called Unbreakable. You know, looking at when we do encounter difficulties and when life is tough, how do we respond? You know, do we waver? Do we doubt? Do we just fall away? Do we give up? Or do we allow ourselves to have that unbreakable spirit, that unbreakable faith, knowing that the Lord draws us near? And so last week, if you remember, we talked about, especially in those moments that, you know, we just feel like we're falling on our knees, we're pleading with the Lord for something, and it sometimes seems like God is silent. And so instead of wavering and doubting, we have to recognize what Jesus is doing in that moment, right? The fact that Jesus is trying to purify our intentions and trying to, uh, to actually uh, increase and enlarge in that desire that we have. You know, and so in that regard, it may seem like God is silent, but he is with us and he is in our midst and he is at work in ways that we can never even imagine. And so that's why we don't want to waver and doubt, but that's why we want to persevere. So to have that persevering faith. Now, you might be sitting here, especially as we enter into part two today, and you might be thinking, well, Father, that's fine and dandy, but that is not my experience. 
You know, that is not my faith, that is not uh, what, what I encounter, and that's certainly not always the way that it seems in the church. And so you might be thinking, okay, well, so maybe I'm not unbreakable. You know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm actually very fragile. You know, so where does that leave me? And I think this is important for us to recognize that even if we personally feel like we waver or we doubt, that Jesus has given us something that doesn't waver or doubt. And that is the beauty of the church herself. Now, once again, you can be sitting there, you can be thinking, well, you know what? Once again, in my experience, I see my fellow Christians and they don't always act very Christian towards me. Or I see my fellow Christians and they don't always act very Christian towards others. What about all the various uh, things that we have seen in our, in our church with human weakness and human failure and just all kinds of different situations and crises that have occurred throughout these 2,000 years of history? What about that? And I think that's, it's okay for us to be in that place. But we have to remember that why we are Catholic. And I'll give you a little hint. It's not because all Catholics are always the perfect image of God's love and mercy in the world. That's not why we're Catholic. No, we're Catholic because the church was established by Jesus Christ himself, who never disappoints. So even though we may be disappointed in our fellow brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so that is a solid foundation that we can trust in. That is an unbreakable foundation that we can trust in. And so in that regard, you know, we remember that, that Jesus Christ draws us close to God, that he gave us the church to, to impart this divine life that he wants to give to us so that we can grow in holiness and we can be a light to the world. And this is why today's gospel is so amazing. So as you know, we've been journeying through the gospel of Matthew and the significant portions that we've been reading have actually been taking place in the area of Galilee. So this is the northern region of Israel. But today... Jesus takes them to the northernmost part of Galilee, to this district called Caesarea Philippi, and it was a, a Roman occupation. And once again, this is, why this is important is because this is all Gentile territory. So he's not speaking to the Jews. He's not speaking to the, quote, chosen people. No, he's speaking to the people who have multiple gods, you know, who don't know the law and the commandments who don't necessarily know the covenant that God established with his people, wanting to be united as one. And so in this place, he initiates a conversation that will forever leave its mark in history. What do I mean? Well, here they are. He's with the 12 apostles. They're in this area. And he says, what's the public perception of me? And he gets all these different answers about the different prophets and figures of the Old Testament thinking, well, some say this, some say that, you know, but then he turns it on them. And he says, okay, that's great, but who do you say that I am? You know, you've been witnessing my ministry. You've been hearing my, my preaching and my teaching. You've been seeing all these miracles. Who do you say that I am? And that's when Simon speaks on behalf of the apostles. And it's really one of the greatest proclamations in the gospel, saying, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So basically what he says is, you are the anointed king that we are all yearning for. You're the long-awaited Messiah. You are the savior of the world. 
and Jesus praises him. But then he does something else. He changes his name and then gives him the keys of the kingdom. Now, there's a lot that we could unpack just in this passage alone. I mean, this is the very establishment of the church. It's the establishment of the papacy. Uh, it's the establishment of the authority that's given in reconciliation to, to bind and to forgive sins. So there's so much that we could actually talk about. But I, what I really want to hone in on is his name. Now, this is interesting. So Jesus' words would have captured everybody's attention. Jesus isn't just giving Simon a nickname. You know, it's not like, oh, I know your name's Christopher, but we're going to call you Chris. You know, it's not just a nickname. No, in Jewish tradition, a change in someone's name is massive. Because a change in someone's name signifies a change in that very person. It signifies the fact that they have a new purpose in God's plan. And so Simon, by his name being changed to Peter, is given this new mission. I mean, this is incredible. And so it's pretty significant in of itself. But what's even more significant is the name Peter. Now, Peter is a very common name in our modern, modern languages. But back then, it was not so. And so Jesus, he takes this inanimate object, a rock, and says, you are now going to be known as rock. So Peter, in Aramaic, is Kepha. You know, so it literally means rock. So, I mean, it would be like us saying, all right, Catherine, you are no longer Catherine. You are now chair. And forever now, you will be called chair. No, we don't do that. Although, I suppose nowadays you hear more and more names that uh, are interesting objects in the world. But back then it was not so. And so why is this? Why the name change? What does this signify? Well, first and foremost, I think on a very basic level, Jesus was saying, Peter, you are to be rock-like. Right? You are to be this, this durable, solid foundation, giving the church the firm and stable leadership that it's going to need in the years ahead. You know, keeping in mind that for the first 300 years of Christianity, it was illegal to be a Christian. There were massive persecutions that took place, lots and lots of martyrdom. And so Peter was going to need to be rock-like you know, to provide that leadership. And of course, we know he's going to doubt, we know he's going to waver, but then he comes back again. The other thing that the apostles might be thinking of is that they were in Caesarea Philippi. And so geographically, there was this huge rock structure there. So, you know, the apostles might have been thinking, like, oh, Jesus must have seen the rock over there and thought, ah, I'm going to name you rock now. Now, I doubt that one, but <laughs> the one that is most significant, I think, has to do with the most important rock in all of Judaism, and that is the foundation stone of the temple. Now, you and I are used to having churches galore in every single city, everywhere you go. But that was not so in Judaism. In the Jewish tradition, there was one single place of worship, and that was the temple in Jerusalem. And so they believe that the foundation stone is how the temple was built. So the foundation stone is probably not what you think. When we think of foundation stones, a lot of times we think of like the cornerstone of a building. 
Or when we think of a foundation, we think of you know, the uh, kind of the flat work and then the foundational walls upon which a building is built. That was not the foundation stone for the temple. No, Jewish tradition is that the foundation stone of the temple was actually the base of the altar for sacrifice. But even more than that, according to their ancient writings, the foundation stone was to believed to be so important in all the various moments in salvation history. So first and foremost, they believed that the foundation stone was the site of creation, that it was the very location on which God built the world. I don't know about you, but that's huge. I mean, thinking about like, okay, that's the place where it all began. Here it is. But even more than that, they also believe that the foundation stone was the place where Noah's ark rested after the flood. Their writings also indicate that it was the very rock on which Abraham was willing to sacrifice his only begotten son, Isaac. And then years later, when David is anointed as king, he digs down to this rock and that becomes the very base of the temple, the very base of the altar in the temple, the place of worship and sacrifice. You know, so all these significant moments uh, are pretty incredible. But then there was one more thing that they believed. They believed that that foundation stone, this rock, actually plugged up the waters of the abyss. That essentially what it did was it, it was this, this seal for the pit of death and destruction, keeping demonic forces at bay. I mean, when, we talk, when Jesus talks about the gates of the netherworld, that's what we're talking about here. And so all of these, uh, these teachings in the Jewish faith, like, this is what the apostles would be thinking of. You know, they wouldn't be thinking of just this rock structure uh, nearby. No, they're thinking, oh my gosh, Jesus is changing his name to signify all these moments in history. The very temple in which we worship. The place where God resides. And so that's the thing about the temple, that the temple was this sacred space where heaven and earth would meet. And it was this place that, that you had the intersection between the spiritual world and the physical world. Now this is the place of encountering God. That's what it signified. That's what this image is. And so the fact that his name is being changed, like I said, it's massive. This is a huge deal. Now, my friends, these were these vivid images that, that the Jews used. And it's the profound reality of the temple. It's the profound reality of, of what Jesus is saying you will do. And so, Peter, you are going to be this rock on which the church is built. And guess what? The gates of the netherworld will not prevail against it. And so when we think about our church, when we think about the establishment that Jesus uh, created and, and, and offered to us, it's a very stable foundation. Because as I said, it's rooted in Jesus Christ himself, who then gave it to Peter. And then throughout these 2,000 years of history, through human failure, through human weakness, through all sorts of, of disappointment and distress, in spite of all the many hardships and things, the church has endured. We haven't destroyed her in 2,000 years, so that's pretty significant, I think. And so even if we individually feel like we waver, 
where we sometimes feel like we doubt, one thing that we can trust in is the beautiful bride of Christ. That even though the church is filled with people who can hurt us and disappoint us, including clergy, we can still know that the church is going to guide us towards everything that is good and true and beautiful. You know, raising the bar to the ideal, even when society tells us to lower it. You know, knowing that, that the church is going to continue to fight for us for eternity so that we can recognize our dignity as beloved sons and daughters of God. That that's what we can trust in. So my, uh, my spiritual challenge to you this week is very simple. Just to pray for the church. <laughs> And I, I want to ask you to do that by praying an extra Our Father each day, knowing that these are the very words that Jesus gave us that offers these seven different petitions, asking for intercession, asking for nourishment to sustain us, to, uh, to really keep us from all distress and from evil. You know, so that that way we can truly live this image of, of, of Christ in the world. So that the church can continue to be a light to the world and the salt of the earth. And so what we know is that even though there's trial and distress and doubt, the gates of the netherworld shall not prevail against her.